Uh, we see this immeasurably more. We're actually going to get to that immeasurably more in chapter one today. But originally where it comes from is chapter three, where, um, where he says that, that he has immeasurably more for us um, and that God would open up our eyes to that. And so we've been ta- tackling this. Not only does God have immeasurably more, but it's really that Paul prays in chapter one that God would open up our eyes to that open up our eyes to that reality. And so we've been talking about glasses, the need for glasses, the need for not just glasses, but a lens, a prescription that works so that you can see into the future. And if you don't pray at the beginning of every year for a new lens, you should start because it's a great habit. Because how many of you know that we always need new vision? That our vision, just like our eyes, slowly fades And so we ask God continually, God, give me new eyes to see what you see about my life, my future, the things that you would have me step into so that we're not just living day-to-day mundane lives trying to survive, but we're living on purpose saying, God, what do you have for me? Come on, you got good things for me. In fact, you got measurably more for me. Well, that's good news. So we we pick up in Ephesians chapter one, and this is where Paul is saying, open up their eyes to see. And then we, we unpack three different areas that God, that Paul is saying, open up their eyes to see in these areas. And so we talked about the hope of his calling. Uh, Pastor Mike last week talked about the inheritance that we have as Christians, as saints, as sons and daughters. We have an inheritance. I love the analogy that he gave that there is like how many billions of dollars that are unclaimed in the world. What a great analogy, right? And so it is with us as Christians is that we have this this inheritance, but sometimes it goes unclaimed. It's ours, but we haven't partaken it. We haven't stepped into the the finished work of the cross. And then this last one, uh, we pick up in Ephesians chapter one, verse 19, it'll be up on the screen. And he says, this last thing is, I pray that you will begin to understand the immeasurable greatness. That's that word again, immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. And then he says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And I find it interesting that of all three things that Paul names, this is the one that he kind of gets on a soapbox about. Like the first two are good. They're powerful. They're important. He mentions them. He gets to the last one, he says, and then there's immeasurable power. And then he goes, oh, and I just can't help myself. I got to tell you about this measurable power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, right? Remember, Jesus is seated in the highest place and he starts just getting on his, his preach on because he's so excited about this one point. And so I need my eyes open today. You need your eyes open today. And I wrote this phrase and I can't get it out of my mind that, that we need, we need the, the, the phrase resurrection power back in our vocabulary. Like it just needs to be the way that we talk and the way that we live and the sort of aroma about our lives that, that we are aware that there is resurrection power still at work. And so we're going to be unpacking what does that look like and what's that about and where does that start and how do we, how do we see what Paul was praying that we would see that when we, when we don't have the lens of God today, afresh and anew, that we're missing something about this power. And so, Father God, we pray that you would open up our eyes. I ask, Lord, that by your word, 
you would transform us from the inside out. Your word is living and active. And so I pray that my words would fall to the ground and we would hear you speak. Holy Spirit, come. Illuminate our hearts. Set us free in areas that we have been bound. Bring healing in places that where there is hurt. God, lift the glass ceiling in places where we have been stunted and hovering at a mediocre life and open us up to the goodness that you have, the immeasurably more. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're into cars at all. I'm not. Uh, I like something that's functional. I recently got a truck a year ago and I love it, um, but I'm just not the car guy. Heather, on the other hand, she's all about cars and she loves to watch those shows where like they get old you know, old timer cars and then they like renovate them, you know, and then they sell them for a lot of money. Anybody into cars? What are they called? What, are they, what is it called? What's the term? No, what's the term to be like a big into cars? Gearhead. Thank you. So we have some gearheads in the house. Anybody like me that like really doesn't care that much? Yeah. I mean, gets me from A to B, preferably good gas mileage. I'd like it to be nice, but I don't need to know a lot about it. I don't need to know a lot about the engine. Frankly, I'd rather not have to open up the hood. Some people, they open the hood for fun. I don't ever do that. So things like a lot of power and, you know, all these, it's just not, not relevant, right? Um, but my, like I said, my wife, she's way into it. She knows cars. Like if you ever talk to her, she knows her stuff on cars. Now we don't make a lot of money, so we don't have really nice cars. But recently we purchased a new car that's used, but new to us, the Honda Pilot, because we went on a vacation and, you know, Heather had this little car and we starting to like pack in teenagers into the back and they're like hitting their head because the back seat's so small. And she's like, I need to upgrade something to the third row. We get a crazy good deal on her car because apparently... Used cars are a hot commodity right now. We get a really good deal. Get, she drove it for three years. We got $300 more than she bought it for three years ago. So that was a good deal. Traded it in, got a good, you know, good deal on this, on this Honda Pilot. But I hadn't driven it very much, so we took it on our road trip. So long story short, we're getting ready to come home, and we decide, driving home, it's a seven and a half, eight-hour drive, and we're like, we're going to drive at night because we really want to make good time. We want to get back at like 1, 1.30 at night. So that way, the whole day, the next day is not wasted. We'll just go to bed, sleep in, and we have the next day, as opposed to getting up in the morning and then fighting the LA traffic and everything else. So about 7.30, 8 o'clock, we're cruising, right? Packed, you know, the car's packed, family's in there, Honda Pilot, I'm cruising. And all of a sudden, we get behind this truck and trailer. Now listen, if you drive in a truck and a trailer on a windy road, for the love, every, any, for the, the first time, the first moment that you have a chance to pull over to those side rails that are, it's, it's meant for that, do that. Get on over. Just, just do it. So we're driving and there's the truck and the trailer. There's another car. There's another car. And then there's us. And it's, you know, back roads in the middle of nowhere on the 99. And uh, we're going in like a 55 mile an hour zone, you could probably go 70 and get away with it. And we're going 45. And I am losing my mind. 
Because I'm like, we left. We like sacrificed our last evening to make good time. We're going 45 miles an hour. I'm like, it's fine. It'll only be for a few minutes. 15 minutes goes by. 20 minutes goes by. And it's just like, what am I going to do? Like, there's nothing I can do. These cars are not passing. And the guy won't pull over. We even go through a town. Stoplights. Go through the town. He still didn't pull over. I'm still behind all three of these cars and I am losing it. So, but I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that Heather's going to approve of me passing a truck, a trailer, two cars, and then us on a windy road, right? Like I'll never hear the end of it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be cool, right? So I finally, 30 minutes later, we're still behind. I probably have, you know, lost a, an hour on the drive, right? So at least that's what it feels like. So I start kind of veering over to the left to try to like make a pass, you know, long straight away. And I, I gun it and it's like nothing happened. I'm like, what's the deal with this Honda Pilot? This thing's got no power. Gun, it's all like barely makes it past one car. I'm like, this is not going to work. This is not a Tesla. So, so I get back in line and, you know, another five minutes goes by. Heather can tell I'm getting frustrated. And she goes, babe, why don't you just pass him? And I'm like, okay. I've got my conservative wife telling me I've got to pass him. I'm about to lose my man card. I'm like, wow, that, this is pathetic. Because she's normally the one that's like, babe, don't even try it. And now she's like, no, you actually need to pass him. And I'm like, babe, it doesn't have enough power. And she's like, do you want me to drive? Okay. I love Heather, you know? And she goes, um, Shane, you got to take it off eco mode. And I'm like, what's eco mode? She goes, you see that big green button? Yeah, it's pushed, which means you ain't got no power. Take it off the eco mode and then let's pass these people. By the time I figured all of that out, it had been like literally 35 minutes driving behind this guy. And finally, in that moment, he pulls over. And after I push the button, I'm like, oh my gosh. So the whole rest of the drive, I'm thinking to myself, really? My wife just owned me on that one. But it really resonated with me that, that there is power available for us. And, and sometimes we're living life and we're pushing down on the gas and it's like, I ain't got no power. And, and I believe that Paul is asking that, that, that God would open up our eyes in areas where we just have to push that eco mode and go, no, I, I need some power here in my life. I want to walk with authority. I love that song that we sang, that this authority that we have in Christ. And so that's my heart for us. And so as, you know, here's the reality. As we look through the, the, the pages of the Bible, as we consider who God is in the Bible, it's not difficult to arrive at a simple conclusion that God is powerful. I mean, if you believe in God and you believe in the Bible, well then, well then we serve a powerful God. That, that, that's not a stretch, right? I mean, he can change the heart of kings. He can part the waters, calm the seas, heal the sick, raise the dead. We've seen that. We believe that in scripture. And so, and so that's, kind of, that's kind of obvious. But Paul 
is not just pointing us to a powerful God. He's pointing to us to something very specific because he goes on this whole rant about what this power is about, this immeasurably greatness of his power, that, that he's pointing us to something. And he points us to the same power that raised Christ from the dead. This is so important for us today. The same power that raises things from the dead. Paul thinks it's so important that he points at it again in Ephesians. And we'll be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen, I don't want to just know that God generically is powerful, but there is a resurrection power available. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us, available to us, things that raises, a power that raises things to life. And so I wrote this phrase, the power of God is put on display specifically through resurrection power. I find it much easier to believe in a God who does miracles and moves mountains. I find it much easier to believe in a God that, that can do those things and has done them. I've seen them in other people's lives. I see them in circumstances. And not that it doesn't take faith, but I think generically we can believe and agree that God does miracles and he can move mountains. And, and if you need a mountain moved, I pray that you walk out of here with a supersized sense of faith that God can do that. But in addition to that, there's an aspect to this resurrection power that personally I find it harder to believe. And maybe you're like me. I find it harder to believe in a God who can change me, rescue me, resurrect something that's dead in me, and change my neighbor, my friend, my family member, the lost one that everyone goes, they're lost. Those places in you and me, when we look ourselves in the mirror, when we're all by ourselves and we go, not even God can resurrect that, change that about me. That's just the way it is. Not even God can produce something out of that past. And so we're just going to hope that it doesn't haunt me forever. But not even God. We find it harder to believe in the resurrection power. But I'll tell you what, Paul is pointing specifically to the power of God to change people. I mean, listen, he changes circumstances. Don't get me wrong. He gets, gets, gets promotions and he helps with finances and all of those things. But at the end of the day, his power specifically is most potent and most seen in the lives of us, our neighbors, and our relationships. He can redeem and restore and resurrect those things powerfully. And I believe that those are the things that Paul would say, open up their eyes to see that he can do these things. He's still doing those things. And this is what he does. Where I long to see the power of God on display is in the transformation of people in a world that has labeled them a lost cause. They're a lost cause. 
too far gone. We've already prayed for them. I already reached out to them. I'll tell you, I mean, doing this message, I have, I have an uncle that fits that category. He's a lost cause. He doesn't know the Lord. He looks like a hippie version of Tom Selleck, bless his heart. Spit image of Tom Selleck. And, and, and if, if, you, if you can find somebody further from God than this guy, I would challenge you to try. Lost cause. And I just, I just feel like the Lord's saying, I want to give you a new lens to see Uncle Chuck. Yeah. Resurrection power. Doesn't always happen like we want it to. Doesn't happen in the way and in the time frame that we think. And we are certainly power, powerless to do it on our own. But I sense the Lord saying, there's power there. So, as we put, up on, put on our spiritual glasses uh, and take another look at Ephesians chapter one, this power. The first thing we recognize is that resurrection power starts with Jesus high and lifted up. Jesus high and lifted up. We see it in, as Paul continues this rant, this preach, this soapbox moment on this power. He says, now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else in this world or in the world to come. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And um, I just want your, I want your permission to say some hard things today. And I want, I want you to give me a little bit of latitude uh, if I if I step in it, um, that you that you know my heart, because luckily we don't have a very big social media presence, so I don't get in trouble too much online. But uh, this world's very polarizing, and you step out the lines even a little bit, and the haters are are at the front door. And I want to say this: that our church, this is a place where people can belong. Way, way before they behave. We don't ever talk about behavior here. We talk about Jesus transforming our lives. And then our life, our lifestyle is a response to that, an overflow of that. That being said, the God of this world has, um, he's really ramped it up in the last number of years. I don't know if you've noticed. I mean, if your kids go to public school, you've noticed. And I want to I wanna center on the reality that one of our challenges is a very me-centered society. And that didn't, didn't start a couple years ago. It just got a lot worse. I mean, you know, we have selfie sticks. That's not new. That's a reality, right? There's a device you can get so you can take more pictures of yourself accurately. How awesome is that? Sign me up, Right? Everything's customized to us. And again, some of that's wonderful. You go to Starbucks and it's like, you can get 
whatever you want that's customized and, you know, it's not even, it's not even a bad form anymore to have some long, you know, description of your Starbucks drink. Anybody have a long description of your Starbucks drink? That's like not even bad form. Like the barista's like, yep, 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 got it. Before it was a cup of coffee and now it's just fully customized, which again, it's a blessing. Nothing wrong with that. We've put a premium on uh, our truth, how we feel, how we see the world, and, and very little stock in what the Bible says, right? It's the world we live in. And we have young people that are growing up in that, and we're doing our very best to point them to the word of God and point them to the truth. But the God of this world is working very hard at creating a society where you're the God. If you haven't noticed, that's, that's the goal of all of this. The goal isn't the selfie stick for you to take more pictures of yourself. The goal isn't that you like yourself more. That, that's not the enemy's goal. The enemy wants, to, he wants you to hate you. But in that process, he's trying to get you to the place where you're sitting on the throne. And not him. And that has a perception of power, doesn't it? I wrote this, independence and autonomy always appears powerful. Right? Anybody have a teenager? They want to be powerful and they're trying to be independent and autonomous. I call my own rules. I get to do whatever I want to do. And now our society applauds young people deciding every day what gender they want to be. Now listen, we're a very welcoming community and I'm not making a stance that, right, we don't welcome people and love them in this place. But what I am saying is our young people are encouraged in the public school system. My wife's a teacher. She comes home every day with this reality. They're coming home every day and she's going, yeah, like kids are championed and supported that when you wake up in the morning, you get to decide. Are you a boy or a girl or a mix? Your choice, which again, tough to be a child right now. And I've got all the respect and all the love and all the support for students going through that and no judgment. But my point is the enemy is trying to get us to agree that wouldn't it be great if you could just make the rules, you could just choose about everything in your life and dethrone the one the one that's high and lifted up. This is where power starts and ends. And when that's out of alignment, it doesn't matter what else we talk about. You're instantly powerless because you have made yourself your God. Make no mistake, this is the, 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 this is the God of this world, uh, what, what he's been doing all, all along. And I, want, I, I just want you to go there with me in the garden. This is the enemy, Eve. I think you should be able to choose whether or not you eat from this fruit. I think you should be able to choose whether or not it's good for you. I think you should be able to choose whether or not it tastes good. It's your body anyways. Sound familiar? It's your body. You choose. In fact, if you eat it, 
You will know everything and not even need God. You're powerful all by yourself. This is the message. Framed differently because we're not in a garden with trees. We're in a different kind of culture. And so while we live in a place of love and care and grace and acceptance, we are aware of the reality that this river that we live in called culture is racing towards a reality where you are your own God. You make the rules. You get to honor whatever value system that you think is best for you in the moment. And in fact, you can make it up day of as long as it works for you. And what, and what Paul is saying is that there is a power available, but it starts with, and this, he goes on this huge rant and he says, he is far above any ruler. It's him. He is the one seated on the throne. And I love, I love this in Jeremiah chapter six, because this is, this is the guy in the Old Testament that instantly had this moment. Wow. Because this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter six, verse one. In the year of King Azusa died, I saw the Lord. I saw him. My eyes were open. I mean, I didn't see him physically. He didn't come and live with me, but I, I saw him. My eyes were open to him. I saw something in the heavenly realms and this is what he saw. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. How many thrones were there? One throne. He didn't say, I saw the Lord and he and I were hanging out on the throne, sharing it. Sometimes he had it, sometimes I had it. And we just decided morning of, no, you take it this time. No, you take it. No, no, you were really good. You should take it this time. I saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up the train of his robe filled the temple. And then it says in verse six, and I, and I said, woe to me for I am undone. It just absolutely wrecked my world because before this moment, I was on the throne leading my wife, my life. But then I realized I'm not on the throne. There's only one chair that the, so the angels are surrounding him saying, holy is the Lord. And so you are seated. And when we get alignment with that, everything changed. And so my life's different now. My life's different now. And so true power starts on our knees, putting our selfie stick down and throwing our hands in the hair in surrender and worship. This is worship. And I'll tell you, it's why worship's so powerful. It's why we love worship here because there's something about worship. Don't miss this. There's something about worship that aligns us, that aligns our hearts. It reminds us in the morning, oh, I don't get to make the calls today on what feels good to my flesh. I don't get to respond because I was bullied last week or because I don't feel good about myself. I don't get to respond by that and make decisions about who I am, about who others are. I get to take a step back and realize that he is on the throne. And because of that, my heart becomes aligned. And this is what takes place during worship. And alignment is required for vision. And if you remember, I told you a story about my son. And that we took him to the eye doctor and they said, glasses won't work for you because there's, a, there, there's something that's, that's blocking your son's vision, distorting his vision. And what we ended up being is it was alignment. 
It was an alignment issue. So he would put the same glasses on you and me. It just didn't help because there was an alignment thing. And what happens in worship is when we align ourselves and we put him on the throne, alignment happens and all of a sudden we can begin to see our world and our lives and our spouse and our kids the way that he would have us see them. This is what happens when Jesus is high and lifted up. When you are high and lifted up, your vision's distorted. Which is why it's so dangerous. And you've all seen it when it's like, you know, people out there that don't know anything about God and aren't making good decisions lead other people, right? Have you ever gone to somebody that knows less about something than you do and ask for advice? It's the blind leading the blind, right? It's like, well, you're out of alignment and distorted. So am I. Tell me what to do. (laughs) And so we bring alignment to our lives. I am most powerful when he is high and lifted up. I'm not going to get through my message. I feel like Mike last week. It's funny, I was watching online and I'm like, no, Mike, just keep going. It's good stuff, you know. The the next thing that we see is we put this lens on to see Ephesians chapter one is resurrection power has delivered you. It's delivered you. When we put Jesus in the highest place, and it's a daily thing. God, you reign in my life. I make you Lord and Savior. You didn't just save me. You're my Lord. You're calling the shots. When we do that, we recognize that resurrection power has delivered you. Colossians chapter one, verse 13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And I can tell you, it's one of my biggest pet peeves in ministry because I, not in this church, but in general, I talk to Christians, I interact with Christians, I I hang out with people sometimes, and they talk about the, the demonic things that are just a part of their life. They don't call them demonic, but they allow the dominion of darkness in their life. As if to say, I'm not powerful enough. I've prayed about it. And so, you know, maybe I talked to one guy and he said that uh, somebody put a spell on him. Just a Christian person. Yeah, years ago, um, I felt like there was like a witchcraft lady and she put a spell on me. And ever since then, life hasn't been the same. I'm like, what? Really? No, that stops now. Listen, we don't have control over very many things in our life. We don't, we don't have control over our job, over our health. I mean, we can do some things, our relationships, our spouse, amen, our, our coworker, our boss. I mean, we're generally pretty powerless in life. But there are a few things that you have power over. This is one of them. In this area, you have control. I wrote this. You decide how much of the dominion of darkness you and your family live under. Period. It's kind of like we talked about hope and that hope is not a fruit of the spirit. It's an inheritance. It's something that you can walk with. And if you don't walk with it, that's on you because God's given it to you. This is the same thing. And I want to read for you in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, everyone say all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's pretty clear. 
I mean, not mincing words. That's not just for like, you know, that's not just New Testament, you know, uh, the, 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 the new church of Acts. Like that's today. A power and authority to not put up with the dominion of darkness. And we don't have the time to get into the nuances of it, but I can list a few. I'm going to list a few. Oppression. Fear. Chaos and confusion. Anybody know somebody that's just like, their, their life's just always just a little bit chaotic. And I don't mean because like they don't clean up their house and it's cluttery. I mean like, it's just, there's just like, there's always a storm looming. And listen, we all go through storms. Jesus in the boat with the disciples went through a storm and they got soaking wet and thought they were going to die with Jesus in their boat. So I got no judgment for all kinds of storms. I'm the last person that's going to say, well, you didn't have enough faith. Otherwise you wouldn't be in the storm. Those people should not have a pulpit because that's just bad theology. But I will say that if there is a looming storm in your life all of the time, that's demonic. God didn't create us to live that way. And I've had heard preachers preach about how you know that you're in the will of God when you're constantly under attack. And you know, I've talked to people like, ah, I can't have sleepless nights. And, you know, just because I'm doing the will of God and the enemy's constantly attacking me. And so I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm sick all the time. And I'm just what? What? I mean, I've been preaching for a long time in the trenches, serving people, and I sleep like a baby. I have peace and joy in my life. And when I don't, I'm taking it back because I have it. That's right. Amen. The dominion of darkness does not have a role in my life or family, period. The spirit of fear, not okay, not welcome in my house. It doesn't mean that we don't fight it. It just means we don't live there. Demonic sickness. Anybody met anybody that's just always sick? And I'm not talking about the elderly folks, right? That's just, you know, there's ailments that happen when you get older, right? My folks, they always have something going on because they're in their 70s. I'm talking about somebody that really should be healthy, but there's just like always something wrong. Maybe it's demonic. Addictions? Listen, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. The power of darkness does not have a hold on you and me. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. It doesn't mean that we don't need to have men in our life and women in our life and battle that stuff, right? We live in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't fail. It just means that you're not... Listen, I love the alcohol anonymous thing. I think that it has a place. What I don't like is when people stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic. Listen, I understand the philosophy behind it. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a social worker or a counselor. I get all of that. And I, and I understand the concept of owning what you can never do again. But I believe that people can be redeemed restored and resurrected out of that. So you're not an alcoholic. It doesn't mean that I'm suggesting that you ever go have alcohol again. Don't hear me wrong. But resurrection power 
is available to us and can be in our vocabulary that we see real change. Lastly, I'm going to try to do this quick, but if I don't, it's going to be good. Resurrection power is enough to change people. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, making us more and more like him as we are changing, changed into his image from glory to glory. Have you ever heard the phrase, people don't change? Of course you have. Because it's kind of a popular phrase. It's kind of a popular idea. Generally speaking, people don't change. In fact, my pastor at my previous church, God bless him, he used to say something that always rubbed me wrong. He said, Shane, when people show you who they are, believe them. When they show you your, when they show you your, their real colors, believe them. And I just go like, I get the concept. I don't want to be naive, but I kind of do. I kind of want to be naive because I want to believe in resurrection power. I want to believe that God can change people. And so I don't want to be naive to where people are at, but man, I want to look at some. and go, man, God can make you different. God can change everything about, and I believe he will, and I believe he can. And I look at you and I go, you're not the same people you were a year ago. I'm not the same person I was a year ago because we're being changed from glory to glory. And this is what the power of God does and is on display in our lives. I believe Paul is praying that our eyes would be open today to the resurrection power that completely transforms people. I think a better phrase is people don't change when we try to change them. And every husband and wife said, amen. <laughs> We're powerless to change people. Religion can't change people. Control and manipulation can't change people. Rules and consequences don't change people. And so when these things don't work, we give up and we say they're a lost cause. I want to end with just a picture of Jesus. We're talking about resurrection power and we look at Jesus and he went to Lazarus's tomb to raise him to life. And they had done everything and they had sent for Jesus and Jesus didn't come. He stayed three more days. I preached on that on Easter. He stayed three more days, didn't come. They tried everything. And eventually Lazarus died. Eventually Lazarus was a lost cause. Not redeemable. And Jesus comes on the scene and Martha and Mary, and they're just like, you could have done something, but you didn't. And so, and so, and so Jesus says, no, I'm going to do something now. And Martha's like, I know you're going to do something in the afterlife. I know he's going to be with us in the afterlife. Thank you, Jesus. And I, Jesus just, I, I could just picture it, leans over to Martha and says, remember I told you, if you believe, you would see the glory of God. I have resurrection power. I can do the impossible. The psalmist said, one day in God's presence is like a thousand anywhere 
else. And so I just hear the Lord say, come on, let's, let's not stop believing. In our own lives, the places where we feel like it's just the way it is. Come on, God's not done with you. God's not done with you. Don't stay in that cave. Don't let parts of your life stay in that cave. God's not done. He can pull that stuff out. He can erase your past. He can bring full healing and redemption. Come on, let's be that church and that community that says, listen, if he can do it in me, he can do it in you. Come on, let's not stop believing for our neighbors and our the people we've written off, even the people that have hurt us. It's easy to write people off. I've done it. But come on, resurrection power. He can redeem that relationship. Nothing's too far gone for him. This is what the power is for. And we as a community, we're gonna lean into it. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the reminder Lord, just as the breeze is blowing in this place, that your spirit is moving on the earth and we get to participate with you. We don't have to beg you because you're already doing it. You're already doing it. So we just ask that you'd give us eyes to see what you're already doing. That our hearts would be illuminated, God, to the realities of your power in our lives that we'd be a conduit every day for this immeasurably more belief. You have immeasurably more. And I give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.